You may be seated. So I've timed this at about 18 minutes. And unfortunately, to try and keep it short, I had to cut out a poem. I like poetry. So that's a, that's a great loss, probably for no one but me. But um, we'll move ahead. And let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray as we open God's word together. God, thank you for your word and that we can read it and explore it together. Illuminate these verses for us and guide us into a deeper knowledge of you. Amen. So the gospel reading today is from Luke 23, verse 32 and following. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. So these are some of Jesus' final words before he died. We're all pretty familiar with them. Maybe they've even become rather cliche to us. Maybe we've even taken them and turned them towards other people in our own prayers, praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But do we even really know what, what they do either? Or we, maybe we feel we have them pretty well figured out. I know I do often. Father, forgive them. But do we forgive them or do we just ask God to forgive them? Father, forgive them. These are pretty famous last words, and I think we read over them a little too quickly to feel the weight of them and what it costs Jesus to speak them. Let's think about famous last words for a minute. When we hear the final words of highly regarded people from their deathbed, maybe, we treat these words with a special kind of reverence, and we see layers of meaning in them. These are the final words of Thomas Edison, who said on his deathbed, It is very beautiful over there. Or in his final days, Isaac Newton said, I don't know what I may seem to the world, but as to myself, I seem to have been only like a boy playing on the seashore and diverting myself now and then, finding a smoother pebble or a prettier shell than the ordinary, whilst the great ocean of truth lay all undiscovered around me. Or there's Humphrey Bogart, the movie star, who said, I should never have switched from scotch to martinis. Or Pancho Villa, a Mexican revolutionary in 1923, he said, don't let it end like this. Tell them I said something. Or Thomas Grasso in 1995, he was executed by lethal injection in Oklahoma. He said, I did not get my SpaghettiOs. I got spaghetti. I want the press to know this. Or there's Buddha who said something very different than, than uh, Jesus in his final words. He said, work hard to gain your own salvation. Or there's Emo Phillips, a comedian who told this joke in the 1980s saying, I'll always remember the final words of my grandfather who said, a truck. 
So what do the final recorded words of these certain famous people tell us? These words take on an ethereal quality. They seem to hold clarity or lucidity because of their context, maybe, and because of who says them. Some of them sound as if they were spoken with special awareness. For somewhere in the borderlands between life and death, they are spoken. Some of them seem spoken with an ironic lack of awareness. Some of them sound like profound understatements. It is easy to get superstitious around death and famous people's words. It is easy to make too much of them or maybe too little of them. So what about Jesus' final words? Jesus' words are very different. Up on the cross, he didn't have very many breaths with which to speak them and to waste. What do some of his final words teach us about the kind of God that we serve? He is the one who always spoke with purpose, with very special awareness, taking on an imperfect language to speak his perfectly loving thoughts. To the thief on the cross, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And then there's our text today from Luke where he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. The Greek word for forgive here is, uh, in this verse, is aphemi, if I'm pronouncing that right, aphemi. It is used in various instances uh, in the Gospels to, to uh, mean to let go, to give up a debt, or to give up, to disregard, to keep no longer, to permit or allow, not to hinder. There's also a sense in the Greek word for forgive, which is that a claim is being abandoned. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus is saying, Father, let this one go, the debt of my suffering and death. Give it up. Abandon it. The word aphemi is also used in Luke a few chapters earlier, in uh, chapter 17, verses 3 through 4, when Jesus challenges us, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. This last week, I went to a courthouse to talk to the judge about a speeding ticket. Um, I received it a little over a month ago. It wasn't a very fun ticket. It was about five in the morning. I was heading to work early, and a cop stopped me. So when the judge called my name, I stood in front of him. I was ready to say in, in several different ways, guilty, to get this over with. But I didn't get the chance. He told me that the police officer hadn't reported the ticket and that even if it came in later, uh, that it would be dismissed. Okay, this sounds good. <laughs> but I wasn't really sure how good yet. Um, I stood there, and then he told me, go ahead and... Go ahead and leave. You can go and stand in the line and talk to the person out in the main entrance uh, about what to do next. So I, I went out, talked to the lady that was standing behind the bulletproof glass, so she was safe for me at least. And, and um, I asked her how much I owed for the ticket. I was a little confused. And she said, no, they, it's been dismissed. Go ahead and 
And uh, here's a copy of the, the ticket. And so I left the building forgiven. So my point in telling this is that I have been forgiven. And there was a lag between the moment when I was forgiven and the moment when I, it dawned on me what had happened. Uh, and more to the point, I didn't realize fully what I had done until I was forgiven. All that I understood was the cost to me that you know, I had been stopped early in the morning. Nobody was around. There, was, there wasn't any danger. And the cop gave me a piece of paper. And I, I think I felt, well, I don't, I don't deserve this. Now I'm going to be later than the earlier time I wanted to be. Uh, I didn't really even acknowledge the little mercy he gave me when he rode down a slightly slower speed than what I had gone. But then I was forgiven, and I had to look at the cost of what, you know, the debt of what I owed for what I had done. Actually, I was a little hard, more hard-headed than this. I, um, if it wasn't for preaching a sermon about forgiveness, I probably would have just moved along my way and been sort of grateful that um, I didn't know anything for this thing that I had done. So I've been forgiven, and this sermon is different now because... I was forgiven a lot this week, more than just that. Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. The word for know, to know there, is uh, oikios. It's the same word, as far as I could tell, looking into this word, it means to know. It's awareness. Um, so this is the same word in Luke 9 when the disciples, you know, the, Jesus and the disciples went to a certain village. And the people there didn't accept him, and the disciples were very upset about this. So they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven to consume them? And he turned and he rebuked them, and he said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. This is the same kind of lack of knowledge. This is the same word for, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This word for no is also used in Luke during the transfiguration. And Peter is a little slap happy in the midst of this wondrous event. And he spouts out, Father, it is good that we are here. Let's make three tents. We can have one for Elijah, one for Moses, and, and one for you. And it says, the passage says, not knowing what he said. He's, he's kind of clueless, uh, but speaking in the moment. There are similarities between all of these passages talking about the knowledge, our knowledge of what we're saying, what we're doing, what we've done. When we are forgiveness, or when we are forgiven, sometimes it slowly dawns on us, if it dawns on us at all. For you, it may take you a lifetime to see, and even then, you won't see fully. You won't have what it takes to fully feel the remorse and the anguish that you could be feeling though you probably have to face some of the damage you've made, Jesus has borne the full weight of all of this for you. In some cases, your spouse or your deepest friendships have borne that kind of debt for you. Your spouse could scream at you about how hurt they feel and your lack of understanding and your lack of remorse about it, and there would only be so much of this that you could take before you start to dismiss tune them out, or lash out at them. We can operate with a willful blindness, a subconscious avoidance of what has hap really happened. 
and we miss opportunity after opportunity for grace to heal us. How remorseful was David when he was exposed by Nathan's accusation? How guarded had he become? David, he went from self-deception to understanding when he was confronted by a story, and that story was about him. Was he 100% remorseful, though? Was he mostly ashamed that he'd been caught? Was he a little bit relieved that he didn't have to cover his sin anymore on you know, the layers and layers that he had already piled on top of it? Was forgiveness his reward because he had repented properly? This is probably a good time to go from talking about being the forgiven one to being the forgiver uh, because this passage teaches us a lot about being forgivers. If you were honest, do you really feel at a gut level that all forgiveness is really just cheap forgiveness? Just let it go. (laughs) Maybe you can't even hear much about grace because you equate it in your mind immediately with cheap grace. We're afraid to tell our kids too much about grace sometimes because that means surely they'll end up taking it for granted. Because sometimes for deep hurts, to be healed, though, uh, some cleansing must take place. And sometimes our kids need to be able to see how their actions have affected everyone around them. To be, able to, to be able to honestly forgive your spouse, it may require you to speak about the hurt you feel. And the person being forgiven has to be humble enough to listen and to trust that you aren't just punishing them or rubbing their face in it. It helps if each person is working to guard the other and working to listen rather than being heard. Sometimes that is what it looks like to forgive the seventh time or the 77th time. Frankly, we aren't very good at forgiving even once, much less seven times. We are much better at showing our hurts and pains from every single angle and expressing for hours and years on end the wounds that we carry because of the masterful job that someone else has done in damaging us. But what if that other person is not the least repentant? Are we off the hook for forgiving them? And what part of the broken state of your relationship do you need to repent of? How we are forgiven helps us to grow in our forgiveness of others. While we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So how Christ treats us helps us to grow in our ability to forgive others. After all, Jesus came back not as an untouchable spirit in shining robes only, but he came back bearing wounds. It's possible even that he roamed the earth from the resurrection to the ascension in deep physical pain. Think about that. He did that, possibly, and he didn't grow more and more bitter towards us. How we are forgiven changes how we forgive. It is true what Jesus said elsewhere in Luke, that the one who is forgiven little loves little, and the opposite is also true. The one who is forgiven much loves much. You have to love despite the hurt you feel. And do what you can to work towards peace and trust, even when it's not deserved. 
True forgiveness must be given without strings attached. Maybe you've heard this. But this feels cheap to us. It feels all the cheaper the more time that you've spent building up resentment or carving that stone of bitterness in your heart. In fact, maybe your greatest masterpiece in your life is a particular bitterness or a grudge that you have against someone. Forgiveness will seem way too expensive for you, especially given all the time and effort and hard work you've put into your bitter resentment. So am I saying that there are no limits to the forgiveness you should be offering? No. (laughs) I'm not saying that you should never defend yourself or other innocent people from abusive situations or even life-threatening situations. But you know that even if you were to enter a witness protection program and you never had to face these people who have hurt you again, your life would still have to be saturated with forgiveness. You'd have to be able to forgive those who wounded you. You'd have to be able to move ahead with people that remind you or situations that remind you of those damaging situations. You'd have to be able to forgive. There are no easy answers, and you have a messy life to keep on living, and you're surrounded by other people who are living out their own untidy lives. Again, how we forgive grows out of how we have been forgiven. Jesus doesn't wait for us to act or feel remorse or pain for what we have done before he forgives us. Notice he doesn't say, now that they know what they are doing, Father, forgive them. Or, Father, forgive them because they were once blind and now they see. Forgiveness isn't the wages we've earned because we have worked for them. He forgives us for what we know and for what we don't know. Luke 19.41 says, And then he drew near and saw the city, and he wept over it, saying, Would that even you, 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 even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Forgiveness and awareness don't always go together. Forgiveness and awareness don't always go together in perfect measure or at the same time or one after another. Those who were there and helped Christ to be crucified or ran away, they didn't know what they were doing or what it meant or what the implications were. In the midst of suffering and approaching death, Jesus' final words and thoughts, they were not a cry for justice to be done or judgment upon the one thief who had lashed out at him, but instead they were the words of comfort and forgiveness. Forgiveness to the other thief who came to his defense. Today you will be with me in paradise, he says. He makes arrangements for his mother to be taken care of while he was in agony. And to his father, who was already turning his face away, he says, Father, forgive them? The kind of forgiveness and grace that Christ asked for here is unthinkable. His forgiveness is unfair, it is unjust, and it flies in the face of what he probably knows to be true about judgment and justice that will surely come. His forgiveness is holy. His forgiveness is glorious. 
and it is beautiful. And, and, and he is fully aware of everything around him. In that audience that was before him and in the audience in this room even now. The more you open yourself to his forgiveness, the more likely you are to feel a kind of joyful agony and even relief when you face your sin and you confess it. And you know his cleansing of it at the same time. Holding on to sin and brokenness is too much of a burden to bear. And thank God that he doesn't want us to bear it and that he helps us in our weakness. Let's pray. Father, please help us to know the comfort and the blessing of your conviction about our own sin. Please soften our hearts. Help us to see our need to let go of what we think is our right to make other people suffer for hurting us. Change how we forgive others because of the many gracious ways that you've forgiven us. And thank you for how you give us blessings when we deserve much, much less. We love you and we praise you for your generosity and for your goodness. Amen.